and welcome in to a very special episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Sackley. With me, as always, the man on the scene. He was a witness to my wedding, and now he is a witness to history. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? It's a long day. How you doing? Pretty long day. I'm not sure my brain's working that well. Um, but also a day I'm probably going to be talking about for the rest of my life. You know, you, you got to see history and it's one of those things. I wasn't in Toronto for Miggy's 500th last year. And uh, in the moment, you know, I was like, well, I wish I would have been there. But, you know, whatever. I was still able to do the job and interviews were via Zoom. So I was able to write a story and no, like it's it's different being there. I'm very glad um, I was able to see 3,000, to see the build up to 3,000, to see the fallout from 3,000. It's been um, a hectic, kind of exhausting few days, but it's absolutely been history. I I, I want to start with this. You know, Jerry Green, the legendary Detroit sports writer, was in the press box at Comerica Park. I think Shout he's uh, what 94 years old now, and. Jerry was saying, I, I saw K-Line's 3,000th, so I need to see Miguel's 3,000th. And someone brought him a, a um, copy of the newspaper when he, he wrote on K-Line's 3,000th hit. And uh, you could kind of see the pride in his eyes being able to cover it. And, you know, I read his story. He ca- actually captured the moment very, very well. Um, and it was really cool to read what the scene was like for Al K-Line's 3,000th hit. Um, so I, tried, I kind of tried to keep that in mind a little bit as I was covering for this for Miguel. I think it's something that we will look back on even more fondly than, uh, than, than we can kind of fathom right now. No doubt. And there's a larger picture in terms of... Now, like, like I can't put myself in the space of what the Tigers were like in the early 70s and what Al was like in the early 70s. I can only talk about Miguel Cabrera right here, right now. And the transition, I, I guess you could say, of, of the Tigers um, over the past couple years. But the lead-up was, was something else for this. Because you went to Kansas City, and I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm assuming you had kind of booked that trip with the anticipation it could be 3,000. And so you go to that trip. That's the only road trip so far this season. And I'm kind of mapping this out. It's like, okay, maybe it'll happen Thursday, maybe Friday. Then he gets those three hits. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, and we'll get into the the walk thing in a second, but but just just tell me from a reporter's perspective, from an observer's perspective, like what this has been like because it took Miguel Cabrera many games, ninety nine games last year to hit thirteen home runs. I know, obviously, home runs are different than hits. But it took him 99 games last year to get 13 home runs in order to get 500 in his career. And we're sitting at, was it 13 uh, for him to get 13 hits, 14 hits, whatever whatever the number is. 13. 
we we knew that it was going to be shorter this year, but the anticipation of it, the the plan, the planning of it from your end as a reporter, as someone who's putting out in depth content, as you did prior to to the three thousand hit, sort of like a background of the trade. Like, what has that experience been like for you? I don't know if people want to hear me complain about my reporting process because let me tell you, I was. I wasn't really expecting him to do it in Kansas City, even before the season. Maybe I just wasn't optimistic enough about how well he would hit. But, you know, given the Detroit weather and everything, I was kind of like, eh, I bet it's more. Uh, I always kind of would have circled probably this Yankees series or Rockies series with the thought it could linger into Minnesota or if he started really, really cold, Los Angeles. Um, but when he you know, was still kind of not quite there entering this homestand. Um, I was like, all right, whatever. You know, I tried to work ahead on some stuff in spring training. It's hard when, you know, the general manager of the Tigers, you can't get like 10 minutes with, you know, it makes it tough. Um, and I think, uh, so Miguel gets three hits, you know, and it's, I, I'd been trying to get Dave Dombrowski on the phone for a while. It was the week of arbitration. I was, we kind of just missed each other a couple times, you know, kind of circled back to that. Actually, that was in, in Kansas city. Cause I wanted to make sure I had that done in advance. Dave was kind enough to, to call back pretty quickly. Um, you know, I was able to get uh, the former Marlins team president, uh, which I did like an hour before my story ran, you know, I was kind of scrambling. I was trying yeah. to talk to Dontrell Willis and Cameron Mabin and man, you're good on deadline. Uh, those didn't, those didn't work out either. And, uh, but yeah, when Miguel got uh, the, gist of this story is really Miguel gets three hits, uh, what against the Yankees. And I think every writer was just like, Oh no, like we're not prepared for this. You know, I don't think, cause you never knew exactly when it would happen. There was so much else going on. This whole spring was so weird because of the lockout, the timeline was ramped up. I think it was harder to work ahead on stuff. So I, I swear everyone was scrambling. Like he came up with the chance to get a four hit game and everyone was just like, well, our coverage of this is going to suck. Cause we have nothing ready to go. Uh, so I felt for, like for me, I was definitely, uh, kind of scrambling to get a bigger story done on the trade and then figuring out, how big of a deal do I want to make of the whole intentional walk situation? And then Miguel just has a um, easily the best interview I've ever been a part of with him Thursday morning before the game. Uh, so it, it felt like there was a lot going on in a, in a short amount of time. So what, what can, can you paint us a picture? Because you have... So you have the three hit game, you have the walk, and again, we'll go back to the walk. We'll we'll both kind of give our rants on that in a second. And then there's no hits and you know a rain out and a doubleheader and you know it's a weekend and there's all this anticipation and to me watching on TV slash listening on the radio, it seemed like a very fitting environment it was a perfect kind of Miguel Cabrera hit if it wasn't going to be extra bases a single going the opposite way I'm gonna be honest here for a second um I was I wasn't crying but I was I was like emotionally built 
like seeing him get that 3,000th hit. Someone I've watched for many years, someone who I'm, I, who I've rooted for for many years, and kind of taking pride on being like, you know, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, and no matter what, I can always be like, Miguel Cabrera plays for my favorite team. Like that was a moment of pride for me for many, many years, and to see him get the hit in the fashion that he did again just you know a little opposite field that really suited your story to be honest um it was special it, it, it was special for me to see it, it it definitely got me it got me in my feels as the kids would say um but mm. i wasn't there and i didn't get like obviously the full experience of the crowd the anticipation I did notice the past couple of days there was just like with his 500th home run anticipation. It was like, oh, as soon as as soon as the pitch was thrown, uh, I was hoping that wouldn't be the case for the hit thing. But it, it seemed like from afar that that was the case. Nonetheless, he got his base hit. The experience, seeing it, the scene. Uh, what can you kind of give the people that weren't lucky enough to be there? I mean, it was it was a great atmosphere, very much like the games last summer in the chase for 500. I thought it was very cool seeing fans lined up at the box office after Friday's rain out. Some of them standing there in the rain so they could exchange their tickets for Game 1 tickets to Saturday's game. Um, a long line Saturday morning, people trying to get into the game, people who very much wanted to be there. Um, and it was electric crowd. It was actually bigger than, uh, I believe, any of the crowd's last summer you know they were loud they were lively i think something about i don't know i like i always would have at least growing up i i would have found 500 homers probably more exciting than 3000 hits just because it was it's a home run you know it was the most exciting thing in the sport but something about i 3000 just requires a different level of longevity you know babe ruth doesn't have 3000 hits uh barry bonds doesn't have 3000 hits and I think some of those things really stuck sure. out and resonated. Um, and, you know, we saw a wave of guys during the steroid era cross that 500 threshold. I've seen from afar a lot of guys do it. And well, I've seen Ichiro get 3,000 and Jeter get 3,000 and uh, probably a couple more guys. But it was like, I think it just gave you a, a new level of respect for the longevity it requires to accomplish that feat. It felt a little different in that regard. Um, and of course the fans rallied around Miguel. The actual moment was, was great. You know, I've it, super fitting. It was an opposite field single. I, I somehow just knew it would be an opposite field single. Mm -hmm. Um, the work of a real hitter just kind of inside it out a ball the other way knew the, uh, the defense was shaded over and covering a runner, and he he you know squeaks a hit through the infield. Nothing impressive, far from the most impressive hit in his career, but also the type of hit that separates him from some of these power hitters who don't have 3,000 hits. Miguel Cabrera has always been such a well-rounded hitter. Um, the hugs with C.J. Crone and Jose Iglesias and then the whole Tigers team. I love how A.J. Hinch said it, was, it wasn't scripted. They didn't have any sort of reaction, you know. He gets the hit, and then everyone just came out of the dugout and hugged Miguel, and that wasn't necessarily by 
plan. Uh, seeing Miguel, you know, hug his family was very cool. The crowd was loud, and then, uh, unfortunately, from my perspective as a writer, I was scrambling to tweet and write and, and, and work, so I feel like I probably didn't get to soak in the aftermath quite as much as I would have liked to have, but it was absolutely, because that I think everyone who's there is, is going to talk about being there for a long, long time. There were a handful of things that, because we, we can be sentimental right now. This is not a time to be critical. We'll have that on our next episode where we talk about the week of the Detroit Tigers. But there were a couple of things that I was, that that just made me think, man, this this is awesome. I, I, I hope to catalog these things for as long as I have cognitive function. One was Jose Iglesias being the first one to hug him. Obviously, former teammates and, you know, the connections go deep there. Uh, two was the family and the teammates just kind of, you know, running out in the field. That was very special. It felt appropriate. It felt not too much for the time, if that makes sense. Uh, I liked Spencer Torkelson, and you put this on Twitter. That's awesome. Spencer Torkelson hitting a home run a couple of batters later to get Miguel, you know, to score, you know, around home. And there's something I, I put this on Twitter. You're at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. It was like you, you said it was a passing the torch. The way, I, and I agree with that. The way I phrase it is I hope that I can say, like, in decades from now, like, and then Spencer Torgelson hit a home run as, you know, to uh, make it a passing of the torch, as you said. And, you know, I'm not a very active Twitter person. Like, you know, I tweet a little bit, but I'm not one of those people that's going to get buzz on Twitter. But I put something out there that I thought was very, very thoughtful. And it got... You know, it might be my most responded to or at least engaged tweet of all time. And basically what I said was Jim Price, as he as he currently stands, is what he is as a radio analyst. And people can have their opinions on that. But I am going to treasure the fact that he was a teammate of Al Kaline, especially on the 68 team, World Series team. And was able to call the 3,000 hit for Miguel Cabrera, bridging the gap between two of the three and the latest two players to reach 3,000 hits in a Tigers uniform. To me, that's special. To me, that's kind of baseball in a nutshell. I, I, I would say why I love baseball in a nutshell. And so, any of those things stand out to you, Cody, as uh, as examples of why we love this game? Well, I mean, the K-Line thing is really special, and I wouldn't have really thought we would be talking about Al K-Line as much as we have this week, but I think it speaks to uh, to the grace of, of, of Mr. K-Line and the type of figure he was in the organization. He was... He was Mr. Tiger, and he was an omnipresent force in the organization in a variety of roles for a long, long time. Um, I don't think, 
I think there are plenty of franchises where not it's not like all the greats have close relationships with each other, but Al Kaline was around and got to know Miguel very well, and it was two hitting geniuses, and they would sit and they would they would talk about hitting. Um, you know, it came up. Someone told Miguel at, at this very relaxed, informal session in front of his locker where he was just easily the most candid I've ever seen him. Like, you'll be the third player to do this in a Tigers uniform after Ty Cobb and Al Kaline. And I could kind of see in Miggy's eyes, like, that kind of that kind of hit him. Like, I don't, just hearing that out loud, he was like, wow. You know, and then I, I was like, what did Al Kaline mean to you? And that's when he got... He got probably as like emotional as I've ever seen him. He wasn't he wasn't crying, but his his eyes were a little misty. He was talking about how special uh, Al Kaline was to him, and that's that's just not something you would get everywhere. It is a very baseball thing, but even um, you know I, that's just kind of rare that it timed out where they could both be uh, living at the same time. They could both you know Al Kaline stayed in the area. Al Kaline was around the team. They actually had a relationship. I think that's just pretty rare and, and pretty special. Um, a compliment in a way to both of them. Immediately afterward, as soon as I got the, the gist of Dan Dickerson's call, which he killed it, as he as you would expect. Would, as you would expect. Um, I, uh, I called my father who was on a, uh, Boy Scout camp out, um, you know, all, you know, he still volunteers as a scout leader or whatever, because that's the kind of person he was, but, uh, it is. And, uh, I, you know, told him what happened and gave him a couple stats and, you know, I said, you know, there's, you know, I told him about what you said with, with Cabrera and, and Mr. K-Line and as, Long-time listeners know my father was Al Kaline's paper boy, so, you know, there's no one in higher accord with my father than Al Kaline. And I said, you know, he's going to have a statue next to Al at Comerica Park, and we'll have to go see it. And he said, absolutely. And that and that and that's part of, like, what I'll have as an experience was, was that phone call with my father and his elation just hearing about it. Um... I, I did this this means nothing this means nothing but <laughs> I don't know how many road trips you've gone on Cody so I didn't want to go too deep on this since you've been a beat writer but I calculated how many hits at the minimum that you have seen from not Miguel even Cabrera. close not even close to all it, it's well uh, yeah obviously obviously but you've seen I would guess about 180 just in road trips or excuse me Home stand since 2019, 76, 21, 2020 was obviously the abbreviated season, 60 last year, and 14, 15 this year, whatever the number is. You've seen about a season's worth of hits from Miguel Cabrera. Wow, now I don't even feel qualified to be talking about this guy. How few <laughs> I've actually seen speaks again to his longevity. Uh, well, the 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 instant I don't want to say instant, but the initial article that was out in the Athletic that you did kind of encapsulated a lot, and 
you know, from the bench coaching action with the Rockies. I mean, I don't want to give it all away, but if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you can, you know, read it there. Um, it's just very special. It's just very special. And that's the thing about baseball is that even if you get a snippet of history, you still feel a part of it. Like, I, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying, like, I don't know how many Miguel Cabrera hits I'm going to remember other than, you know, the milestone ones and the ones that get replayed on YouTube. But I'm going to forever talk about what it was like to watch him do batting practice. Because, you know, you would get there early to the ballpark. I'm, I, you know, I live here in Texas, and I would go to the Rangers-Tigers games early just to watch him do BP. And there was one time I was up in the upper deck right on the right field foul pole i mean i could almost touch it It, i was so high up like the top of the pole and having a conversation with a guy being like i was a freshman in college and i was like you know i think he could hit it here (laughs) you know and he and he was like let me tell you something if if you catch one of his balls i will pay your college tuition and it was just like one of those thi- like one of those baseball communal experiences, and and that's what this is all about. So um, that all was great. I hope everybody enjoyed the experience of watching, listening, reading about. If you're look uh, listening to this tomorrow, uh, Cody's coverage and the athletic and all that stuff. But okay, now let's get to it. Let's get to it here. I'll start out. The Intentional Walk by Aaron Boone. I I, I guess I just have a very simple way of thinking about it. Number one, Aaron Boone don't own anybody except for his bosses and the players that play for him a single thing. He don't owe anybody a single thing except for that. His job is to put his team in the best position to win. That being said, I don't think that intentionally walking Miguel Cabrera for Austin Meadows put the Yankees in a better position to win. There's some advanced analytics that I read that was basically 50-50. I don't know if that's true or not, but or, or how in-depth like those numbers are, but those are some things I read. I just, generally speaking, would not be in favor of walking any batter to load the bases for someone who is statistically a better hitter. So to me, from a baseball sense, I didn't like it. And Aaron Boone is a man- a modern-day manager. And what I mean by that is... His job is essentially do the what the front office advises. And I thought that the whole lefty-lefty thing was kind of horse crap. I thought we weren't supposed to look at that anymore. I thought that was too old school. That's that. Those are the notions that I was sold by the analytic community. So you put in a lefty to face a switch hitter... But the realization that Miguel is on deck just to walk Miguel to get to a lefty who is the best hitter in the lineup currently for the opposing team, the Tigers, 
And also, his only runs batted in this this season prior to that point and with the resulting at-bat was against left-handed pitching. So from a pure baseball standpoint, I don't even, I don't get it. I think if, I th- it's one of those things where you're going on Miguel Cabrera reputation, in my opinion, if you're going to say that was a better baseball move. Not the Miguel Cabrera that we've seen the past couple years. That's my thing. I don't think Aaron Boone owed anybody a damn thing. And look, it's fun to boom. It's fun to say Yankee sucks and you know, all that stuff. But from a baseball standpoint, I don't even think it was the right move. I don't think it was the right move. It didn't make any sense to me at the time because, again, Austin Meadows was behind him. Akil Badu behind him? Cool. Tucker Barnhart behind him? Cool. The best hitter on the team behind him? I just... It does, it's not a good baseball move to me. Just, that's it. Not Take away the 3,000. Take it away. To me, it wasn't a good baseball move. If, if, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Well, the, my whole problem with this thing is that the conversations weren't really centered around was it the right baseball move. We can have that discussion. I think that's a fine discussion. I think that's an interesting discussion. I think we can disagree on that discussion and it's still okay. And I was fine with the fans booing because you're – your fans, you paid to go to the game, the guy gets walked, whatever, boo. I thought at some point it went, like, one level overboard, though. When I start hearing, Aaron Boone's a villain, he'll never be welcome in Detroit again, you know. Like, how could you do this? Like, blah, blah, like hours after the game, people are still riled up about it. I thought it was excessive. Because Aaron Boone's job is to manage the New York Yankees and to give his team the best chance to win. Um, in his mind, he thought this move gave him the best chance to win. I think analytically, pretty close call, maybe like 51-49. But I think overall, um, Austin Meadows is a one hit 198 against lefties last year. So I think uh, that is well within his right. Miguel had been swinging the bat pretty well. Um, I think it's interesting that a lot of the people who were so against this are kind of the people who might also decry analytics, you know. I feel like a lot of the people who didn't, who hated the intentional walk with a passion uh, because it was like breaking some unwritten rule, you know, generally the crowd that doesn't like analytics. In a way, I think the intentional walk, although I think the numbers vaguely support it, was almost a rebuke. I think it was Aaron Boone using his eyes and saying Austin Meadows has been swinging like trash in this game. And we're going to put in a lefty and we can get him out because he's just looked off at the plate. Yeah, he's having a nice start to the year, but he had some bad swings. He had struck out three times in that game. Um, So was it right or wrong? You know, tough to say. Close call either way. I kind of think he was right. You know, if if they give his team a 0.4 chance more likely to win... Still, why would you not do it? Why would you ask Aaron Boone to sacrifice any level of competitive integrity when sometimes what we're complaining about in baseball is, oh, there's not enough competitive integrity. There are too many teams tanking. Oh, but when a guy's on the edge of a, a the verge of a milestone, suddenly we should throw it out of the window. It's not like it was going to be the last at bat of Miguel's career, and it's not like Aaron Boone or someone on the Yankees uh, took out Miguel's kneecaps. Like That's something that I think you can call someone a villain for. 
I think this was Aaron Boone doing what he felt was the right baseball move. I thought it was the home fans responding like home fans should. And I think it should have been left at that. Instead, I feel like it just got blown up a little too much. And again, the conversation wasn't about, is this the right baseball move? It was basically like, is Aaron Boone a piece of trash human being or not? And um, I just didn't really think that that was the appropriate way to frame the conversation. I mean, that's fair. And again, I, I come back to like, let's just say it out loud. You're going you're gonna to walk any hitter. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to walk any hitter to bring up the best hitter in the lineup. That just seems like a bad baseball move to me. That just seems like a bad baseball move also, to me. I also, I generally don't like I generally don't like intentional walks. Uh, I hate them almost as much as AJ Hinch. I'm not a fan of putting people in the bases ever, but I don't know. Like I get that one. It's not like Austin Meadows is Juan Soto. You know, he's a good hitter, but he's I think you can go get him out. I want my lefty to go get him out. Yeah, I was I was totally fine with it. In fact, I support the move. I mean, I don't support the move just, again, because it was Meadows. If it was anybody else, I mean, you know, I might have a conversation with that. I just, like, again, best hitter in the lineup, and we're going to walk a guy to bring him up with the bases loaded, and not to mention the not to mention the fact, this is a side note, it's not specific to this actual situation. I've always kind of thought the whole first, pace, first base is open thing to be kind of bold. I'm not cursing anymore now that we're in season. I always kind of thought that to be bull because what does it matter if first base is open if you're just going to walk the guy? I never really understood that. It's like, because like if, if it was second and third and then you want to intentionally walk the guy, it's going to be bases loaded. What's the difference between walking him? The end result's the same. I've never really understood that being a, a thing that people kind of cling on to because you're just putting that end result to be the same and you're using like another thing as a justification that's a side note i yeah, just don't you, like, it, it, you put you put two runners in scoring position like if you walk somebody when there's a guy when there are guys on first and second uh but generally i agree with you generally like putting a guy on the bases gives the team an opportunity to score uh more runs and that's why i'm in most cases, not a fan of the intentional walk, but if you're playing for one run late in the game, obviously sometimes the circumstances can be a little different. Also, your boy Austin Meadows ranks in the bottom 4% of the league in average exit velocity. I love Austin Meadows. I love his at-bats, but like, dude's got a lot of bloop singles. You know, It's not like he's hands down the greatest hitter in the world right now. He has a grand total of zero home runs so far, so... Who probably leads the league and grounded in double plays in the past four years? Probably <laughs> Miguel Cabrera. We're not, I'm not trying to shame Miguel on his special, you know, podcast or whatever. But I just, I just, it just seems like a weird move, like walking somebody to get to the opponent's best hitter. Just seems like a weak move. And again, I thought we didn't care about lefty lefty matchups. That like. Where is that not since when do we not care yeah, about? Like, why would you I not care that, about that lefty lefty matchups? Where the hell did you come savvy. up with that? Awesome, it was a hit one ninety eight against lefties last year. Why did you not want him to face lefties? Well, because I thought we didn't care about it. That's what I was told by the Atlantic community. Is that I that don't stuff know who the hell relevant. told you? I don't know who told you that. 
that that I mean maybe maybe you have to like actually look at the data. There are some guys who have reverse splits. There are some lefties who aren't that good against lefties. There are some righties like Jacob Barnes who's uh killing it against lefties right now. But like platoon matchups, I think are. I mean, AJ uses them all the time as well as anyone I've ever seen. I think that's about as straight up numbers driven as you can be saying this guy is objectively uh, a much different hitter against righties than he is lefties. It's one of those things that's old time baseball that has been de-emphasized in the analytic era. I mean, that, that, I, I don't know. I don't have any numbers on the top of my head to back that up, but that is one of the things that's like, you know, we just don't do that. We, we I was told that was oh, lazy Matt, baseball. I, 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 probably just going, oh, left on left is lazy baseball, but that's also why there are more relief pitchers being used than ever before because teams are obsessed with matchups. All right, so you, you so you, so you, but so 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 Aaron Boone would have put in a lefty to face a switch hitter in order to walk Miguel Cabrera just to get to Austin Meadows. That's not even a lefty lefty it's thing. What, that's just like he just had an arm that he was. It seemed like he was doing. It saying. seemed like it, it seemed wasn't to me like he was trying thing, to get to Meadows. Put a guy in at that situation. It was he was hitting in front of Miguel. The Jamer was it? Jamer, 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 a switch hitter. Okay, so he's weaker. Definitely has less power from the right side. So that's the right move. And then you walk Miguel, and then you get to Meadows. That's. That's exactly what he was trying to do. Even though it seemed like he changed his mind like three or four times about the walk. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, nine. how, how many times are you going to be able to say that, oh yeah, I, uh, you know, if you had to defend the action to your boss, I, I walked the, I walked the bases loaded for the team's best hitter. Statistically. I think it was, had I think, success against. Yeah, Lincoln you're you're continuing to make it sound like Austin Meadows is is a, is God. I like Austin and Meadows. He's not, but, but like, he's the best hitter. Relax. In the lineup it, right it, now. Yeah, I don't know. He's over three with three strikeouts in that game. In that game, he was the worst hitter in the lineup. Okay, so he and so I'm not telling game. my boss. You know, I felt a little bad because I didn't want to take away from some old guy's chance to get a milestone. So we pitched to him, and he hit a two RBI single. And, Look, dude. And uh, we had no chance to win the game. I think that's our chance next to next week, if someone walks Miguel Cabrera to load the bases for Austin Meadows, I'm going to say that's a bad move. That's all I'm saying. Like, because statistically speaking, Meadows is a better hitter right now. I don't care about who's on the mound. Like, just, like, I, I don't think you can defend that in any sir, I'm taking three thousand out of it. I just don't think walking the bases loaded to bring up the team's best hitter in the lineup is a good move. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying he's God. I'm saying he is all the right. best hitter. I mean, point taken. I mean, that's fine. I I disagree. I would. I'd face Austin Meadows if I had a lefty. I was confident and, to get him out. You, you know, know. And, and, and now if I had, I mean, I'd want to know who else I had in my yeah. bullpen. What else the matchups looked like? I'm not. I'm not scared of. I'm not scared of Miguel Cabrera either. I want someone to go get Miguel Cabrera out because he's not that great of a hitter anymore. Uh, but but if Aaron Boone clearly yeah, thought like going there. to get Meadows and and you had Jamer, you had Jamer, Miguel, and Meadows, so the lefty gives you a better advantage against two of those three hitters. Like that makes complete sense. 
Best hitter in the lineup. You know, walk the bases loaded for him. I'm just gonna keep coming back to that. Just doesn't make doesn't make baseball sense. And again, analytically speaking, what did you say? Fifty one forty nine. I mean, I mean, I don't know what it actually is. It was it's a close call. It's not like it was super, close enough that I doubt he was crunching you know, numbers in call. the moment. Uh, but regardless, we've talked we we we've hashed that out enough and 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 tried to be as sound in reasoning as uh, <laughs> as can be. Uh, the bottom, and again, take the three thousand hits out of it. Like I, I just didn't think it was the right baseball move. Um, is there anything else about the three thousand hit storyline, Cody? You want to add before we get out of here with this special episode? And then we'll address other things for the Tigers this week later. Um, no, that's all that's coming to mind right now. I mean, I hope you guys will go and read the. The bigger story I wrote after Saturday's game, I think uh, I was impressed with the way Miguel Cabrera handled it. Uh, covering Miguel Cabrera can be an interesting balance, and I've only done it for the past three or four years. Wasn't there in his prime, wasn't there for some of his prime uh, off-field mishaps, or even probably prime Miguel being a little more surly in the clubhouse. But I think, uh, I think I've said this before, but I mean, he's... Compared to 2019, he's he's been very different to be around in a good way. I think Miguel handled his past few days with uh, with a lot of grace. I think he was, um, you know, you could tell he cared. You could tell all the stuff he said about winning is is super genuine. You know, he's he's classic Miguel. He can be very funny, Um, but I think over the last like two years, continued to slowly see a more um, not human, but like a more mature, really a more mature side of Miguel Cabrera. And I think that came out more than ever, uh, the past few days, I think he handled it like a, you know, like you would want a legend face of your franchise to handle it. Like, I think he did that all, uh, very well. And I hope he, I hope he's properly appreciated for that. And honestly, not something I might've said or expected of Miguel, um, a couple years ago. I really do think he's had maybe some realizations that have come with, this is my end of the career. I'm not the player I once was. Um, I have to do certain things. Number one, if I want to remain part of the lineup, number two, if I want to be on a contending team again, uh, maybe I have to act a little more like, um, the 39-year-old future Hall of Fame veteran. Uh, and I, I think he's done a pretty good job of that from everything I can tell. Yeah, and if uh, the past 10 days or so has taught us anything, and I mean, not taught us, we knew it, but the gravity of Miguel Cabrera was as evident as ever. And um, just by the nature of it, we probably won't get a better example of just the the gravity that he holds over the game, over his teammates, over fellow baseball legends. Um, he he's up there, obviously, with the greatest greatest hitters of all time. Especially if you want to, you know, classify it as right-handed hitters of all time. So uh, a special moment. Um, it, it, like okay, I said, also. Also, ain't ain't no one getting three thousand hits again anytime soon. Yeah, I know that's been talked about. I don't think any of these guys, you know, Joey Votto's too old. Jose Altuve maybe has an outside chance. You're counting on him to 
Uh, hit it a very good clip until he's like 38 or 39. I feel like this next generation, like, I don't know, like Tatis, Vlad Guerrero. I, I think my money is going to be on Juan Soto to be the next guy to like even approach it. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be probably more than 15 years from now if he gets there. Um, it's a, it's a different game. We'll see if, you know, banning or altering the shift changes things to be a little more hitter friendly, base hit friendly, but uh, 3,000, again, rare. A lot of great hitters did not get 3,000 hits, and it is even harder to reach than ever. Miguel is going to be the last guy to do it for, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's at least 10 years. And if you want more numbers on that, you can go to The Athletic. Uh, there's a story on there that kind of breaks that down. Robinson Cano is another guy that yeah. you know, we thought we'd get there, and it's most likely is not in the card. So if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, please do. You can get Cody's writing. You can get all the great journalism that goes on at The Athletic. You can follow us on Twitter. He is at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. You can subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. If you feel so inclined, five-star review. Um, And... We appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate all the comments, all the feedback. It's a great time doing this. I appreciate you, Cody, after a very long day, taking some time out to to do this podcast. And we'll talk very soon, man. We, we still got a whole lot of other storylines to talk about. This was Miguel Cabrera-centric, obviously, on a very historic day. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully you'll keep on listening as the season progresses. And, you know... The Tigers stay interesting in more ways than I would have anticipated about six weeks ago. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed a historic day. Miguel Cabrera, 3,000 hits.